It's an amazing thing to see what hope can do in a relationship, what restoration looks like in a relationship. And that's exactly where we uh, round out today as we conclude this series. For the past 30 days, uh, we have been camping on this subject of relationships so that we might get to hope and restoration. But first, we also have to figure out what's been killing the relationships in our lives. And there's a lot of different things we've thrown out. In fact, if you wanted to put into practice what we have thrown at you for the last few weeks, you could kill a great relationship really quickly. You could start communicating in code and not saying what you really mean with people. You could try to get your way always, which is a a way that a lot of us instinctively approach relationships. You could dwell on what's wrong all the time. You could choose never to commit to the people that you love, all this. Like, we've taught you well what not to do if you really want to destroy relationships. And today we're going to wrap up by looking at one more relationship killer. And this one is especially sad because it doesn't trash a relationship quickly. Like, I mean, some of these you can just, you know, detonate a relationship and that'll be over. But this one, it's more of like a slow bleed. It drains and poisons a relationship over time. But it's lethal all the same. Oh, and you should probably know, while a lot of the relationships we've focused on uh, through the series have been, you know, marriage or, or couples relationships, this one doesn't discriminate, okay? It's sort of an equal opportunity killer in any relationship you have in life is fair game. Your friendships, your spouse, your dating couples, your coworkers, your siblings, your parents, kids, all these relationships can be affected by this one. If someone matters to you, then this relationship killer can get to you. And here's how it works. In any relationship, uh, you have essentially two people who've chosen to walk on, we'll just call parallel paths uh, for this one. So you're walking together in life. And as you get to know each other, there's this connection uh, that develops. You got these two people connected together, walking along the same path in life. That's a relationship. That's a connection that you enjoy together with somebody. Could be a variety of different circumstances. But at some point, those parallel paths sort of diverge and they run into each other. And that is when you have a conflict with somebody. That sort of, you know, when my path crosses your path in sort of a violent collision, now whether it's small or big, that amounts to a conflict. And now we have this issue between us, and that's not all we have because all of us have different ways of dealing with conflict because of the different life experiences and the way that we were shaped. Some people come to the table very differently from somebody else, and that in and of itself creates other conflicts that build on top of that. And part of what you get when you deal with a conflict is anger. Anger happens when somebody conflicts with the way that you want to go. And now, a lot of us have different perceptions of what anger actually looks like. Again, that's been very shaped by your life experiences, what you were, what was modeled for you growing up, how you are sort of wired. Some of us are like, uh, you know, uh, we blow up angry on people. Others of us, uh, we're sort of like quietly angry and we get back in different ways like this. Some of us don't even acknowledge that we are angry and then you stuff it all down and then uh, the entire world explodes when you finally decide that you're angry. All of us have different ways of dealing with that anger. But for all its appearances, the purpose of anger, and there is a purpose, it's usually the same. One of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, writes this about anger. He says, the primary function of anger in life is to alert me to an obstruction to my will and immediately raise alarm and resistance before I even have time to think about it. Anger is like this emotional response, like a reflex that says, that is not what I wanted. 
And it's just like, hey, that's what I feel. Now, so like I said, we all experience anger differently, but anger in and of itself isn't wrong. Any more than if I cut your arm and you felt pain, that the pain is wrong. Now, I shouldn't cut your arm, but the pain is actually a good thing telling you that shouldn't have happened just then. Anger is an emotional response saying that shouldn't have happened just then. That's not what I was looking for. That's not what I wanted. What we choose to do with that feeling and what we choose to do with the relationship after we have that conflict and that anger, now that is what determines what comes next. And a lot of people's paths diverge into one of two ways. Uh, from here, you know, you could have your conflict and go way off into completely different directions. That's when the relationship doesn't get salvaged out of this because we really didn't deal with this very well and we're just going to kind of go our own separate ways. But how we choose to deal with it can sometimes lead past a conflict to a path that actually grows closer together. And we experience a closer connection with each other than we ever would have thought possible on the other side of that. Conflict, though, that's inevitable, okay? Like, the, I know we don't like it, but that is just inevitable. When two flawed individuals try to walk together, somebody's going to run into the other person at some point in time, no matter how much you like or love each other along the way. Sometimes it's a simple misunderstanding and you collide. Sometimes it's far darker than that, and the wounds go really deep into our heart and soul. And here's the really itchy news, in case we haven't covered it. The closer you get to someone, the more opportunities for conflict arise. The more you walk closely with each other, the more likely you are to run into each other at some point in time. But remember, the conflict in and of itself isn't wrong. But when we choose to avoid the conflict, when we choose not to deal with it, that is the relationship killer in it. Because conflict's going to come, but if you choose to avoid it, when you choose to ignore this and say, you know what, that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. Or when you look at this and say, you know what, didn't really hurt. It didn't hurt. You know, it's fine. Whatever. I'm just going to keep moving on. When we choose to not acknowledge it for what it is, or when we take the anger that we rightly feel over this and direct it at another relationship in our life because we can't deal with it there, all of these things, it's avoiding, avoiding conflict. It means rather than move through this into a greater relationship, we never resolve this, and it just widens the gap over time. Even if it's little things over time, it just lends towards distance in our relationship with the other person. We never resolved it, meaning we drag it with us. And now, whatever inhibits that relationship, it just breaks that connection further. The gap widens. Now, I do want to say, before I go really any further into this topic, I do need to give a quick disclaimer. There are certain kinds of conflict, and we could put into that category things like sexual abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, emotional abuse, things like that. That often needs the intervention of like law enforcement, trained professionals, because one of the parties no longer has assurance that they are safe with the other person. Or sometimes, like in the case of like infidelity in a marriage, the betrayal runs so deep that those two are not going to figure out how to do it, to like move forward together, and they immediately need the help of somebody who's outside the situation because that trust break went so core to the relationship. 
I'll just say from the outset, this message is not going to deal with all the nuances that you can come up with and how people are able to wound and damage each other in relationships, okay? Uh, we, can't, we don't have time uh, to do a lot of that. I do, I do want to let you know we have some fantastic restore classes. We've been talking about these for the past few weeks. These are classes that can help come alongside you in different areas of relational brokenness or places where you're stuck in life. You want to check those out uh, to really kind of go, you know, I need some focused time to move through those issues. We can also help point you towards professional help if you do need that along the way. Our prayer team, by the way, will be up here after the service if something kind of comes up and you're like, I need help not only getting to God, but moving forward in my life and that. But today, my goal is to really give you some key scriptures that can sort of mark out the path towards not avoiding conflict, but from moving through it to point us in the right direction when it comes to the majority of conflicts that you're going to face in life. In fact, I think if you employ these, most of the huge conflicts in our life actually get averted because you dealt with it at a much smaller form. So I want to focus on just three quick scriptures, and I'm going to give them to you rapid fire. I've emphasized something in each one of them as we walk through them, just so you can check. Two of these are from Jesus. The the third one is from the Apostle Paul. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Moving along, Matthew 18, Jesus speaking again says this, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. And then the last one, Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, these are some of the most famous passages in the Bible about dealing with conflict, but I hope that you could tell from what I bolded and sort of emphasized in each one of these, there is a sense of urgency about dealing with conflict. Jesus says twice, go, go, and then the Apostle Paul says, don't let the sun go down, meaning don't linger on this, don't wait to go deal with it. Apparently, even one night's sleep can cement in distance in your relationship, even if you don't intend it. It says it even allows evil to get a foothold in our life if we have this conflict unresolved for too long. Conflict avoidance is not what the Scripture teaches, even under the auspices of being nice people. Because Christians get this label of we're trying to be nice all the time. Conflict avoidance isn't nice. Conflict avoidance, if you don't deal with it, it ends up not being so nice later on in life. It actually does damage. Jesus says clearly, go. That's the mandate. Go deal with it. Now, how you go really matters, though. It really matters a lot because poorly handled conflict is probably the source of so much misery, so much brokenness, and so much damage in our world that it would be hard to compute how much of it. Because a lot of us are good at recognizing that we have a conflict, but how we then go resolve that with somebody, we usually end up creating about nine more conflicts just trying to deal with the little one that we actually started with in all this. But Jesus and scriptures hold this out in the hopes that you'll understand that wisely handled conflict can actually produce intimacy 
it can pull you together if you walk through it with wisdom. But how you approach it makes a massive difference. So I'm going to go back to those scriptures I just told you. I want to look a little bit closer at how do you go. Go is obviously the point, but how do you go? Let's go back to Jesus' just first uh, statement about this. It says, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple. Now that, you know, they would have understood that, the people who listening to Jesus back in those days. That was a very worshipful moment. Like it was, it was one of the, the high points of worship. You got this focus on God. It's my heart is wide open to God and presenting the sacrifice at the altar. So in the middle of your highest moment of worship, if you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Great, love that you're loving God. Stop and go to that person. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus puts a huge emphasis on your relational connectedness with other people, even while you're having this sort of vertical experience with God. So he says go, but what does he say how to go? He says go to reconcile. Go to reconcile. Did you notice? You always have to pay attention to what Jesus doesn't say, okay? Jesus doesn't say, go and tell that person how wrong they are. Doesn't mention that. He doesn't say, go and vent thy anger upon that person. No matter, he's aware, people can do some pretty bad things. His emphasis, though, is not on go, prove you were right to that person, Go, put them in their place. Go and argue for hours about this conflict in your life. Go and be reconciled. That is a call to repair a relationship. That's the spirit, the attitude that you approach this conflict. I'm going to go to that person. I'm going with the intention of reconciling that relationship. Because in order for us to move forward connected again, we've been, you know, we've broken this connection somewhere. If we're going to get connected again, we've got to prioritize our relationship over the hurt. Not saying we have to skip over the hurt. We actually have to deal with the hurt. But our relationship, the context of this hurt is that our relationship matters. I want to go with the intention of being restored with you. If you don't go with that intention of being restored, it is so easy to get baited into arguments and offense that then creates more conflict. If that's not your intention in going. I remember when I discovered this really well, because it was a pretty like, uh, like in my face lesson because it happened to me at work. Uh, so a previous uh, job that I had, I was put in charge of planning an event that we were having at work. Now, normally uh, the planning of this event would have gone to another coworker, a friend of mine, and she was great at it, but this time, for whatever reason, it came to me. Uh, rather than trying to go and bother her with all these details and, hey, am I doing this right and all this, I said, you know what, they handed it to me, I'll just go take care of it. And along the way, as we got closer to the event, I realized, you know what, she's normally a part of these events, I'm going to find a spot for her in this event, and she had like a public role in the whole event, so I thought that was kind of a nice nod to her past involvement. However, as the event came and then went, Afterwards, I realized, you ever have that feeling when you're like, something's not right? Like, I can just tell the way that person was responding to me, the look in their eye, or maybe the fact that they wouldn't make eye contact, something was wrong. So I went to her office after this event just to sort of, you know, maybe with the intention of kind of apologizing if I had missed something along the way. We started talking about this, and sure enough, she starts telling me, you know what, I just felt like uh, from the get-go, you didn't even care about what I had done in the past. You didn't even ask uh, for any of my input in all of this. And... 
Strange enough, rather than an apology coming out of my heart, I found anger coming out of my heart as she went on and on about this. I was like, this was my responsibility. It was clearly handed to me. And might I add, I found a spot for you in the event I didn't have to. To which she responded, I don't think I said it quite like that, but to she responded something like, yeah, yeah, I know that you found a spot, but it was at the very last minute. It was obviously an afterthought to you. How full of herself is she being at this point? So at that point, I, it really started to get heated in her office. Like, I mean, our voices were raising, hostilities are growing. We're kind of going back and forth. And at some point, I realized I'm getting furious with her. Like, this is just ridiculous. I felt like she was being petty and childlike about the whole thing. And finally, I just stood up and said, look, I am not going to have this conversation with you right now. I need to walk out. And she stands up on the other side of her desk and say, don't walk out when I'm talking to you right now. I like turned back to her and I distinctly remember saying this right before I slammed the door on my way out. I said, I came here to apologize. (laughs) I came to be right about something. And when I didn't really come to apologize, it didn't take long for me to get baited right into this argument. I didn't go to reconcile with her. Actually, I was kind of looking for her to own her part in this. I wanted her to tell me how sorry she was, and I was the one that ended up blowing up in the middle of that meeting, which is kind of a good flip. If we're to go to reconcile, here's kind of another tip. Don't go to blow, okay? Don't, don't set yourself up that way. Don't go with the intention of going, I'm just going to erupt on this person. Sometimes we do this, though. We seek out that person who hurt us with the intention of trying to hurt them back. Like, I want them to feel what I felt. I want them to experience what I experienced. And we feel justified because of the conflict in venting our anger on them. But that is not how a relationship is restored. That's what happens here. If you go and just go to blow up on somebody, because I've got to empty this out on you. Now, here's the thing. We can, we must feel and act authentically with this other person about what happened, about what we felt, what they did. But here's the thing, especially in our culture, authenticity easily drifts into hostility. This is how I really feel. And we kind of give ourselves license to inflict damage out of a sense of woundedness. That is not reconciliation. We do need to be honest, but we never have to be disrespectful in the way that we share our hearts. If nothing else, when in doubt, always go with some other famous saying that Jesus said, treat others the way you would want them to treat you. If somebody walks into your office, into your house, catches you somewhere, how do you want them to approach you? Try approaching other people that way. Now, that's one thing that Jesus says, go and, you know, go to reconcile. But he has something else. Matthew 18, he shifts it a little bit. He says this, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault when the two of you are alone. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. Jesus gives us another handle here on how to go. Go privately. Go privately first. That is where you want to start. Jesus makes a point of urging us to approach conflict in a way that this is a relationship, so start with it one-on-one. That's the first place you need to go to try to resolve it. Again, in a spirit of reconciliation. And it really makes sense why you would go directly to that person first if you think about it for more than about 20 seconds. 
Let's say, just put this on for a second. Let's say you and I are unaware that we are in a conflict. You're just walking along and you don't know that I've been really hurt by something that you did. And so I come to you and say something like this. Look, this thing happened and it really hurt. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it because I feel like it's just getting in the way of our relationship. It feels like it's kind of pushing me away. And look, okay, I haven't talked with anybody else about this, but I just wanted to come directly to you first. Compare that with hey, look, there's this thing that's going on in our relationship and I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like I got hurt here and this or that and it's really been pushing me away from you and I, I just feel like it's keeping us from having a relationship right now. I do want you to know I complained to my wife. Uh, I told two uh, friends about this. I actually talked to three or four of your friends trying to figure out why you're always this way about everything and then I posted a rant on Facebook this morning about it. So I thought I needed to come to you now and really deal with that. Now you are in the position not only going, I didn't even know we had this conflict, but now I think I have six other people and all your Facebook friends to wonder what else is going on in the world. Jesus' words are pretty simple. Go privately, meaning don't go to others first. It's so easy to go to other people first, right? Because the other people, you don't have the conflict. It's so easy to talk to them about a conflict with somebody else. It's hard to deal with this. But Jesus says, go privately to them. When you go privately to somebody, you immediately diffuse a whole layer of defensiveness because it's just like, hey, this is just me and you. I haven't told anybody else. I'm not even talking about it with anybody else. It suddenly smalls it down. It's like just the two of us. That's the only people that know about this right now. So if going privately when you have the conflict with somebody else, matters that much to Jesus, I think then that has huge implications for what we will listen to other people about. The people that come to us. Have you ever been talking with somebody who just needed to vent about this for a minute? But what they were doing is stalling going to that person. Like, I'm not going to that. I haven't even tried to go to that person. I'm going to all these people in my life to, so they can realize how justified I am and how good it is that, you know, I've been hurt, so I should go do something about this, right? Or at least be a listening ear to me in this. Oftentimes, we become unwitting accomplices in relational damage because we are allowing somebody to come to us first versus going to the person who they are in conflict with. It feels good, though, to be a friend who people seek out. I just want to share. I just want to sort of, can you be a sounding board for me for just a minute? You're like, great. And what we do is we unintentionally damage their relationship. We aren't helping them at all, especially if they have not gone to that person first. The best way that we can help people in our world is by helping them to that person as soon as possible that they would go with the intention of reconciling, but to go privately with that person. By the way, if you immediately come up with a host of objections as to why, you know, I can't just go talk to that person. Jesus has, if you read on in Matthew 18, he gives you kind of next steps. Hey, if that person doesn't listen, there's other steps that you can take in involving other people. But it always comes after trying to reconcile one-on-one first. So go, go to reconcile, go privately. And then the apostle Paul living out of that place of knowing Christ and teaching others, says this in Ephesians 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
It says, go speak the truth. Go to reconcile, go privately, but when you go, go and speak the truth. It's essential that we share from the heart what happened. How did it actually make us feel? Because again, a lot of times when you go deal with this, they don't even know. The other person is completely oblivious many times that they even had that impact on you. And it's important that you share what actually happened. Not only that, but here's how it impacted me. Here's how that made me feel in that. Because that's the relational conflict. It really helps, by the way, when you're going to tell the truth to somebody to use non-accusatory statements. Like, when you did blank, it made me feel blank. That's just the truth of you did this, it made me feel this way. Or, you know, like you start to realize, you know, I'm trying to help the other person realize how their actions impacted me. When you flip it around though and use statements like we often revert to, statements that sort of inflame the situation, like, like you always blank. You know, you're always doing that. Or you never blank. Or you're such a blank. You know, like that, that doesn't help. It doesn't help. It just makes the whole situation worse. We are to come with the truth. Here's what happened. Here's what I felt. But we also come with the truth of our desire to be reconciled. And hey, I can tell this has created a wedge between us. I want to try to move past that. Can we reconcile on this point? Can you understand my perspective on this? Can I understand if there's something I was missing in your perspective? I want to get on the same page with you again. That is also the truth. As important as it is to vocalize our pain, it's also important to express that this relationship is important to us. That's why I'm here. I'm here to tell the truth. But that being said, if they actually matter to you, then it really is important that you tell the truth. They deserve the truth, which means don't go and withhold from somebody. 90% of the truth is not the truth, which it's kind of fuzzy in our world this day. I told them most of what I'm thinking, and that's not the truth. That's not the entire thing. This is extremely difficult, I know, for some of us, because you may have, though, I couldn't, I just couldn't say that to them. I'm not sure what they're going to do. If I tell them that, it's just going to make everything worse. I promise you, whatever it is you're planning on withholding is probably the fuel of a future conflict at some point in time. It's better just to level with them and tell them the honest truth now. And even in telling the truth, though, the key is really humility. We've talked about this throughout the series. We don't deliver the truth to somebody to wound them. It's not a weapon in your hand to inflict on somebody, and you don't deliver the truth to be right. It's not a way of propping your own ego up. We tell the truth because we want to restore the relationship. And unless we can acknowledge this actually happened and here's why our paths you know, collided with each other, we can't move forward in this. If I don't tell you the truth, then there's just gonna be that invisible thing between us that we never talk about, that they don't understand what it actually is, but it keeps us from moving forward. But when you share the truth and you put your heart out there, it creates the opportunity to reestablish connection with somebody because it's operating in truth and sharing your heart that establishes the connection in the first place. And that's the place we're trying to get back to, even in the middle of a conflict. But it actually leads me to one more really important point. 
Because I said it creates the opportunity to reestablish connection. I never said it guarantees that this will reestablish connection. We have said this again and again, if you've been here for this series, that you cannot control somebody else's responses. You are responsible for your choices and your attitude, and that's about the limit of what you can control in a relationship. And I remember running into this head on. Uh, I, I was 12 years of friendship into a friendship with a friend of mine that I was sitting across the table from him after having multiple attempts at trying to reconcile on something. What had happened was there had been a deep-seated betrayal of my trust. There had been a pattern of really just lies that had gone on for years and years. And this wasn't just a friend. This was also a mentor to me. This was a leader in my life. And I remember trying to come to him repeatedly just to try to explain why that hurt so much. And is there any way that we can deal with some of the underlying darkness that had kind of crept into there so that we could rebuild a relationship and actually move forward in that? And I went to this particular lunch. I mean, I had sat at other meetings. I had either brought other people in. And this lunch, I just walked in with hope that perhaps something could be salvaged out of this and felt like I walked right into a brick wall. There again, trying to explain what had happened, why it had hurt so much, and what we could do moving forward. He didn't deny my feelings, but he also had no interest in owning what I was saying, that this is what I thought was really wrong in the relationship. He's just like, you know what? I don't understand what me doing everything, like if I'm supposed to own this whole thing like it was all my fault, I just don't see what good that would really do. And after a while, I realized, you know what? I don't know that we're moving forward in this. So as we said goodbye that day, I realized I really, in many respects, was saying goodbye to a friend of mine. We were going to part ways because we realized there was such a deep-rooted conflict in our past that even with repeated attempts, there was still an unwillingness in one of our parts to resume relationship, to be able to bring reconciliation to that. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you give it your best shot and you still don't get traction with that other person. And in the end, for me, I had to hold to another set of one of the Apostle Paul's words found in Romans chapter 12. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I had to go back at the end of the day and say, did I do my best? Did I really put my heart out there? Did I go with the intention of reconciliation? Did I go privately first? Did I try and, and really share the truth about what happened as well as I could as along you know, with my heart out there? Then I have to trust God with the outcomes in that. I have to trust, I cannot force their heart back open to me even when we've had this conflict. But we do have a responsibility, the scripture says, to work at it to live at peace with everyone, to go and to seek them out. And friends, the people in our lives, these relationships that we have are far too important just to let a little relationship killer in the door all the time. Temporary discomfort is better than permanently discarding someone who matters to you. It is going to be difficult but that is a preferable pain than a yawning gap in your life with somebody who, with whom you used to be close. 
Do you know why that rings true? Like, why does that, why does that matter to us? Why would it be worth pressing forward to in? Because that's how God feels about us, actually. The scriptures tell a pretty amazing story that each of us, by nature, were born into conflict with God. We were made for a relationship with Him, but each of us in our own way have broken that connection and have tried to move on in our life without Him in small little ways and sometimes in big, undeniable ways. But the most incredible news in all the universe is that God has moved towards us to resolve the conflict. He's not waiting for you to fix it. He has moved towards you through his acts throughout history, through the scriptures, and most especially through his son, Jesus. He has moved towards us. He has taken a step towards us. He has brought things like sin to our attention. This is a conflict in our life. And he's not afraid to point out the conflict. He brings the truth, but he does not do it to condemn you, and he does not do it to shame you. He does so to restore relationship. He wants to live in that connection with you. Colossians says this, speaking of Jesus, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, and by making peace through his blood on the cross. See, guys, God has already wrestled through his side of the conflict, and he longs to offer you grace, forgiveness. He is seeking, the God of the universe is seeking reconciliation with people. See, there was a point in our past It was called the cross, where God moved towards the damage and the brokenness in our relationship. Jesus met our sinful self-will head-on and died to it so that we could move forward in connection with God. That is what we are invited into. And if God would rather step towards the discomfort of a crucifixion rather than permanently discard a relationship with you, it reveals there is something in all of us that is worth moving toward every single time. It's really that heart in God that is fueling where we're going. You know, next week we celebrate the 20th anniversary celebration. You know, we're not having church services here. We're saying, you know what, we want to sort of concentrate all of our campuses together next Sunday night at 5 o'clock for the purpose of celebrating a God who would do that. And for 20 years has been doing exactly what we just talked about, meeting people at their point of greatest need and moving them in towards connection with other people. It's happened in marriages. It's happened in addicts. It's happened in the you know, religious elite. It has happened in the down and out. Everybody, it's just 20 years of these stories of that kind of love, that sacrificing love moving life by life in people. We want to put it on display and say, this is what God has done. And it's happened right here in our city. Yeah, you can read about it here, but you could look around and see it. And our hope is that that event becomes sort of a catalytic event that ignites a movement of love where we're going, wait a minute, if God moved towards us like that, what if we could move towards the other people in our life? That's why we've been spending this time in this series right now, because how to kill a relationship in 30 days is largely about the people who are right next to us all the time. 
But this next step, as we go into love everyone life by life, this is meant to be a spreading out of who all, we talked about who are 20 people in our world that are kind of, maybe we work with, maybe we see them, that we could be conscious about the love of God moving to them in their life. So that is why you want to be there, because we're going to experience something together that then propels us out. I really encourage you, as you're thinking about tickets of who could I be giving one to? If we sell out here today, you can grab one at the door that day. Just show up. There will be space for you to come as we experience this together. Our hope is that God does something brand new, not only in our church, but really in our city, because he never wanted us to keep this to ourselves. This is something that's meant to be shared. It's something that's meant to issue out. So I encourage you, as you're moving into this week, keep your eyes open. Who is it that God might have you invite? And more than anything, come next Sunday night with your heart ready. God, what is it you want to say to me? What is it you want to show to me? What is it that your love might compel in me as we sort of restart and step into a brand new era here at Gateway Church? In just a minute, I want to dismiss you. I want to pray for you as you step out. I want to remind you, though, our prayer team will be up here afterwards if there's some help you need. Starting gate's going to get rolling in a minute. But don't miss the opportunity that's right in front of you to love everyone, just as God loves you, life by life. Let's pray together, okay? God, we come to you here as a people realizing that you want to resurrect relationships. Just like you were raised from the dead, Jesus, after the cross, you want to breathe new life in that. And I pray for marriages. I pray for parents and children. I pray for friends and coworkers. I pray for families everywhere, God, that we would allow your love to so change us that we would move towards each other and that it wouldn't just stop here, but that it would ripple out into the city of Austin in a brand new way. God, we invite you to do it because it's your love that changes us. Thank you for moving toward us first. Thank you for seeking reconciliation for us now. I pray that in these coming weeks that we would be sent out in a new way as ambassadors of that reconciliation. I pray that for my friends. Bless them as they step into this next week. I ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday night at the 20th anniversary celebration.